Welcome to episode 87 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This week, my featured guest is Matt Arnold, Managing Director and Global Head of Sustainable Finance at J.P. Morgan Chase. He leads the firm's client engagement on sustainability across all sectors globally, helping clients navigate environmental and social risks, engaging stakeholders and partners in advancing environmental and social progress, and structuring targeted impact investment funds. Matt's been fighting for sustainability since the early 90s, founding the Management Institute for Environment and Business, which was a pioneer in presenting environmental challenges as business opportunities to companies and business schools. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat. I'm here with Matt Arnold, Managing Director and Global Head of Sustainable Finance at J.P. Morgan Chase. Matt, welcome to The Climate Champions. Thanks, Lee, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's get right into it. With regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment that made you decide you wanted to do something about it? So it's a long incubated thought process. It starts when I'm 10 years old and I joined the Boy Scouts and I realized that I love to be on top of a mountain. I love to be in dirt. I love to camp. I love nature. And then I'm 12 and I get certified to be a scuba diver and I love to be underwater and I love to see the undersea world. So I realized viscerally, not by choice, that I'm an environmentalist. It's just a place where my soul sings. And it wasn't until whoa, a lot later, 1996, I'm at the World Resources Institute. And I realized that climate change is probably the biggest threat to everything I hold dear. And that's kind of it. That's the moment where it says, wow, we probably ought to try to solve this problem. And I've been working on it ever since. Do you have personal drivers that help you get up in the morning to do something about mitigating climate change? Absolutely. I feel mission driven because I'm addressing a problem that threatens everything I hold dear. And by the way, threatens the thing on which all life depends. So I'm kind of saving the planet. That's my personal mission. I retain this kind of, I won't say urgency, but it's close to urgency, this sense of mission, this sense of purpose, this sense of wow. And a life well lived, in my view, any life well lived is one that's dedicated to the joy of working on something that you care deeply about. Actually, doesn't matter what the problem is. And for me, as I said, it's nature. Climate is, you know, it's very practical. It's about capital formation, which is why I work at a bank. It took me, I was 50 years old by the time I finally got to a bank. Turns out there's a lot of training. If you want to be effective as an environmentalist and as a business person, there's a lot of foundational work. And right now, JP Morgan is the largest energy bank outside of China. We're huge, which means we're the largest green bank in the world. We're trying to lean hard into green, and we're trying to turn our brown portfolio into a transition portfolio which is to say all of our clients that are in emissive industries are decarbonizing. 
and we're trying to facilitate and help them with that transition. So the things I'm working on personally are very practical now. We announced a Paris-aligned financing commitment in October of 2020, which means we're going to commit to decarbonizing the emissions that come out of our lending and underwriting for the oil and gas industry, power industry, and the automotive industry. And we formed a whole new team in our investment bank to do that. I spent a lot of time on that. I will say finally, and I realize I'm going on, that in all this, there's sort of a nature-based approach. There's a natural capital approach, which is linked to climate change, but also linked to biodiversity and just to the wonder of nature. That's an emerging agenda that you're going to see in the financial world. I think 2021 is the year it's birth, maybe late 2020. And we're definitely getting onto that issue. Can you get deeper into what you and JP Morgan Chase are doing to mitigate climate change? So I'd like to answer that in a broader sense than just JP Morgan Chase, because I came from outside the industry, right? I had been an environmental kind of activist, a practical activist, a friendly one. I'd been a consultant advisor to 50 banks on environmental issues and human rights issues. So I would say the industry, go, go just 25 years ago, even 20 years ago, the financial services industry is concerned about the paper it consumes and the reports that they write. It's concerned about the lights in their building and their private aircraft. They're not yet focused on the consequences of the money they lend and the underwriting that they do. The trillions of dollars that goes into infrastructure, which creates all the emissions. So it's a journey. I'd say in the early 2000s, you have a risk management thought that says, whoa, let's not lend to any really bad things. And so all the banks, all the big banks in the world start to form an environmental and social risk management team that evaluates transactions and deals. And then there's a recognition 10 years later, there's a lot of our clients that care a lot about this issue, consumer goods companies, B Corps, progressive companies, and they'd like us to be leaning into the issue. And so we lean in and it becomes a business opportunity. Probably the biggest single piece of that is the green bond industry. Hundreds of billions of dollars being issued every year as green bonds. And now this is two years old. The industry is embracing the problem of climate change in its entirety. And the recognition that emissions come from just about everything and that we need to understand the climate risk that we're facilitating and do something about it. The bit that I described earlier is our very recent response, four months old, to really do that. And we're not late to the game. We were the first major U.S. bank to adopt a Paris-aligned financing commitment. We were the third major bank in the world to do it. One Dutch bank, one British bank, we were third. This is the agenda right now, 2021, 2022. And with the Biden administration, it's just going to accelerate. When you meet people that don't understand the facts behind climate change, so it makes them doubt there is climate change, how do you communicate with them so that they understand? Two ways. For the people who are really blocked off, I use an insurance argument, which is to say, let's say there's a one in 100 chance that this is true. What are the chances your house is going to burn down? One in 100? Probably less than that. And you pay thousands of dollars every year to insure against your house burning down or flood insurance. So that's the argument that you make to someone who just says, this isn't true. Because no one can know it's not true in the same way that they'll argue you can't know it is true. So they have to have a kernel of doubt if they're actually thinking. 
if it's not an ideology. I think for a lot of people, it's become a bit of an ideology and that gets super hard. For the people who are really curious, there are 800,000 years of climate concentration data that is housed in the British Antarctic Survey. They go to the Antarctic every year, they drill down a couple of miles, and they get ice cores from up to a million years ago. And in those ice cores, they can tell precisely what the greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere were at that time. And then through geological measures, they can find out what the temperature was and correlate the time there. So you have greenhouse gases and temperatures for almost a million years, and they correlate very tightly. And in that million-year history, there's never been higher than 400 parts per million. The highest ever was 380. Business as usual, we're going to hit 600 parts per million. It's going to be 50% higher than it's ever been in a million years. That's an experiment that Homo sapiens is conducting to this planet. We have no idea what's going to happen. So thinking people like that argument because it's just science. Yeah, I think there's a number of ways to talk about it. One is by looking at the history and understanding what's happening compared to the past. The other is looking at the data that shows when you have greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, it lets in light, which is converted to heat when it hits, and then the heat can't get out. It can't get past that same atmosphere. Just another way to look at it scientifically. No, it's a great way. In fact, I think all of us in our 10th grade biology class learned about something called the greenhouse effect, which is the whole reason we have life on Earth. We like the greenhouse effect, right? It creates this blanket that keeps us warm. A little bit too much blanket, a little too warm. A little too much blanket. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's interesting when people say we want no greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, it would be very cold. <laughs> it would be very, very cold. The problem isn't not to have any. The problem is that we have a ridiculous amount and it's growing so fast. Yeah. What effect has the pandemic had on you and J.P. Morgan Chase in your climate mitigation activities? So I'd say for the first couple of months, I think like the rest of the world, we kind of hit pause. And we pushed through major reports that need to get published, shareholder engagement that you need to do, process need to get done. Big question in sort of March, April, May about what the impact of the pandemic would be on concerns about climate change. And I would say since that time, it's dramatically accelerated. If you look at capital flows into ESG investment vehicles, and ESG is environment social governance, they've gone up dramatically because I think there's an equation of mysterious sort of unpredictable threat in the pandemic, maybe came out of a wet market in Wuhan, China. What is climate change going to do? It's sort of a mysterious, unpredictable threat. And so in a sense, it's the exact same thing psychologically. We find now huge acceleration in focus and concern for J.P. Morgan Chase's shareholders. It is a top issue. When we talk to our mainstream shareholders about what our business looks like, they want to know what we're doing about climate change. You talked a little bit about it, but can you fill in your journey, how you got from the Boy Scouts to where you are today? My sons are in their early 20s and they have lots of friends. And I can't tell you how many times I coach young kids thinking about their careers who have some kind of passion. I just did what I wanted. I did what I thought was important. When I was 27 years old, I was choosing between, I had two master's degrees. I was choosing between 
being an investment banker and starting a nonprofit environmental group focused on business and environment. That was very early. The compensation differential was probably, I was probably offered, I don't know, it's a factor of four. I chose the nonprofit environmental group. I was the founder. My mom had no idea what I was doing. None of my friends did. I'm not sure I really did either. But I thought that business and environment, if we could merge them and make them synergistic, it would be a good thing. And that was kind of the beginning. We figured that out. We were massively successful. We penetrated business schools all over the world. We started in the US, then Latin America, then Asia, big program in the Philippines to integrate environmental thinking into business education. And then large companies like GE, DuPont, Motorola, Kodak hired us to do executive education. Environmental stewardship as a competitive advantage. That was kind of the idea. And then we merged into the world's largest think tank on these issues, the World Resources Institute. I complained about how the place was managed so much, they made me the chief operating officer. And then as one mentor of mine said, when does the statute of limitations run out on your business career? Because you've been in nonprofits for a decade. So I started a consulting company focused on these issues for banks. And that's been the last 20 years. Sort of Wall Street, call it Wall Street, but financial services. And I started with a boutique consulting firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers bought us. Went there, and then J.P. Morgan called and said, would you come and help us figure this stuff out? That was 10 years ago. Nice run. I got to tell you, Lee, I am so happy with where this whole... And so now I am a full-throated supporter of just follow your passion. Don't be practical. Just do what you love, and you will figure that out. That is really a great message. I'll tell you, as a parent, that's a hard message to give. (laughs) But I think you're right. If they have passions, you have to support them. Well, I have two sons living in Kenya doing environmental work. So I've definitely given that message in the family. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk about some of the setbacks you've had? So setbacks, it's funny. Maybe I'm just a little bit nuts, but I've had challenges. I've never been fired. I've failed at a lot of things, but I tend to go where where I was successful. That's super interesting. One thing that I have explored is I really didn't have a conventional early stage of my career. So I didn't get the basic professional training one gets when you're in your late 20s to early 30s. Because I went off and started this nonprofit environmental group. There were like six of us. We were in a closet in some Arlington, Virginia, free rent. (laughs) It's definitely a drawback. I'm exceedingly unconventional. And I think it's partly because I just never really got that early professional training. But I, on the three big things that I've tried to do, the first one being bringing in business and the environment together. The second one being engaging Wall Street on the notion that they have an environmental responsibility and it could be good for their business. And then the third, working at JP Morgan and having us go from basically not paying attention to the issue to becoming a leader on the issue. Those are the things I focus on. It's funny. I guess it makes me a happier person because I don't think about my setbacks. What successes are you most proud of? Oh, I just said them. Yeah, I figured that was it. Yeah, no, I, and, I, and I think a lot about this because you have adult children and they're forming their own career aspirations. We have a lot of conversations about what does success mean? So you had a big job. I've never really had a big job. I was called and I have been called a change agent. I have a sense for a big problem. Like, how could it be that business is the enemy of the environment and business is the problem, not the solution? When in society, it's business that forms all of the capital and 
creates all the execution against just about everything we want. That can't be. So in the late 80s, I jumped around that idea, started this nonprofit, and we were super successful. We were like one of the first pioneers in the notion of sort of business environmentalism. And then same idea with Wall Street. Wall Street was not paying attention in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I was able to form almost by accident a consulting firm, teamed up with a couple partners. And we grew to, we had 50 banks all over the world as our clients. That's awesome. We were once called a category killer because if you're a bank anywhere in the world and you want to learn about these issues, there was only one firm to hire because we had all the other clients. We had everybody. And that was super fun. And then the third is JP Morgan, which has been an amazing ride. There was never any hostility to the issue, but it just was like, well, does that matter to us? It's like, yeah, it does. Here's why. It matters because your clients care about it. It matters because your employees care about it. And over time, we've turned into a seriously strategic issue for us. So those are the three. Those span almost 40 years. Can you talk about your vision for the future? How do you see the country, the world looking in 20, 30, 40 years? Are we going to make it? Ooh. Um, So despite the last four years of the U.S. federal government not advocating for, in fact, undermining progress on climate change, the sort of hashtag we're still in movement Subnational governments in the US, corporates, super, super accelerating. And now, massive acceleration in a way almost couldn't be faster. You're seeing a deceleration in support for emissive activities and a dramatic acceleration in support. But we need some breakthrough technologies because I don't think we get there without some serious energy storage. I'm now talking your book, Lee. So I don't think with what we've got, you necessarily get there. I worry about political backlash, not just in the US, but in a lot of places. People don't want to live bad lives. So I really think the next decade is really, really, really important, is how we turn the economy much less carbon intensive. It's not clear to me at all that we're going to make it. But I'm not gloomy. I just think it's an uncertainty. It's interesting what you just said before you said we're not going to make it. It seemed very similar to what you started with, And that is linking money and business to the environment and climate. Yes, 100%. The same thing. And hundreds of thousands of people got the same idea right now. Maybe millions. Is it millions? I don't know. I think it's millions, yeah. Yeah, it's probably millions. And the question is just how fast can it go? It really is. And right now you have the U.S. back at the table, pushing super hard. China's pushing hard. Europe's always been pushing hard and never let up. And business and technology just have to keep accelerating. Has your vision changed because of the pandemic? It's gotten sharper. There's something about being in your house for a year. There's a lot less distraction. It seems simpler to me. The imperative to preserve nature, which is where this all started for me, seems much clearer. The imperative to protect the climate by reducing greenhouse gas emissions seems very clear. Also, the imperative to help poorer countries and poorer people adapt through just transition, but also just through adaptation, it also seems clear. All these things seem super clear to me. That's what I mean by sharper. I totally get what you're talking about. I feel the same way. I think those of us, and by the way, we're kind of fellow travelers who've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I know no one 
who's an environmentalist who thinks like it's gotten less important? No one. What's one thing that people can do to help mitigate climate change? Stop recycling, because that is, in my view, a false salve that makes you feel better, but doesn't do anything to solve any problems. Vote. Vote climate. And stop driving your car. Or drive an electric or drive less. I'm going to tack that on for those that have to drive. (laughs) You fly a lot of places, Matt. But not for this year. No. <laughs> Full disclosure, I was on a plane every week for 10 years. So I plead guilty to a huge carbon footprint. And I have no excuse. I don't excuse that by saying, well, I'm working to solve the problem. Do you have any questions for me? What keeps you up at night? This podcast keeps me up at night. When I haven't done an episode in a while, I'm fine. After some episodes where I learn new facts or I hear opinions that make me realize that things maybe are worse than I had even realized, it's hard to get over it for a few nights, to be honest. Oh, that's interesting. I hope you didn't learn any of those on this. I I hope you didn't learn anything new and that I had no ideas that you find unsettling. (laughs) No, you just gave me a refresher and why I should be nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, is there anything else you want to say? No, I'm happy, happy. Thank you, Lee. Okay, on that happy note, let me wrap this up with a rap. He feels it viscerally. His soul screams and shouts since he was tending the top of a mountain in dirt with the Boy Scouts. His mission is to save the planet. He really does care. Climate change is a threat to everything he holds dear. Lived in Arlington, Virginia. Hey, free rent began linking business to the environment. He helped making investments green, so I have to say thanks, not just for the largest JP Morgan, but for most banks. They understand the risk they facilitate their changing to spare us. The first major U.S. bank, the third in the world to join Paris. When talking to people that doubt the threat, he has the endurance to explain to them that it's just like home insurance as GHGs keep growing, climate events will keep killing. At business as usual, we're headed to 600 parts per million. Matt wants to save the race by speeding up the pace, reducing the carbon in this place at J.P. Morgan Chase. (laughs) That was a classic nerd trying to be cool. Thank you, Matt, for making me feel a little better about climate change, at least until my next episode. Hearing about the banking industry, understanding that emissions come from the projects that they fund, and that they're embracing the problem in its entirety and doing something about it, makes me feel a lot better. And thank you for your important role in making that happen. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at privatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Matt said he felt mission-driven, addressing a problem that threatens everything he holds dear and threatens the thing on which all life depends. So he's kind of saving the planet. It gives him a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of wow. A life well-lived is one that's dedicated to the joy of working on something that you care deeply about. In his case, mitigating climate change. (laughs) 